We're going to have four speakers this morning. We'll have a little panel discussion, so I want you to hold your uh, questions until the end. Uh, but uh, I want you to uh, think about these things and think where God is uh, placing you. The first speaker is going to be Dr. Uh, Sherry Falkenheimer, who is uh, head of uh, Medical uh, uh, Education International, which is a commission of the Christian Medical Dental Association. She's had an extensive experience doing this type of work in different, uh, different universities abroad. And so I'm going to ask her now to come and share some of the work that she's, she and her group have been doing. All mic'd up here. Okay, thank you, Bruce. Uh, for those of you who aren't familiar with MEI, our Medical Education International, uh, our mission is to uh, send short-term teams to meet needs in other countries. We work mainly in the 1040 window, uh, largely in the Muslim world, somewhat in Buddhist areas, and then uh, on invitation in some other areas. And our real goal is to provide uh, advanced medical and dental education to improve the health care in the country, but also to reach out to the faculty with Christ's love, to model him, and to um, hopefully see him come to Christ. Uh, what I'd like to do is talk about uh, briefly, I just have about 10 minutes, I thought I'd briefly share about four different uh, aspects of transformation, uh, things that God is doing there. We do everything from medical conferences to clinical teaching to bioethics to faculty development. It's whatever the medical school or the government or in some cases missionaries who want to get into the medical uh, system ask for. So um, first I'll talk a little bit about Mongolia. We've been going there uh, for about 14 years, twice a year, two weeks in the spring, two weeks in the fall. This doctor you see in the middle, Dr. George uh, Michael, I think I have a pointer here. Yeah, he uh, oversaw this program for about 10 years. He's been there about 20 times. And when we first went there, uh, it was a Buddhist country. Uh, there were just a handful of known Christians. And through teaching, uh, this is more clinical teaching. Sometimes we lecture to uh, faculty and students in the medical centers, and through partnering with people like uh, this doctor who is with the Lord now but uh, was a long-term partner on the ground, we've been able to have continuity over the years and getting to know people. And this is a, a, a worship service now in Ulaanbaatar in the capital of Mongolia. Now they have their own Christian medical and dental group. They uh, have a number of Christians. One of the deans in the dental school is a believer. So uh, we're a small piece. It's very important to have the long-term links on the ground to work with the local missionaries and the, uh, the uh, churches on the ground. But we've seen just a tremendous change in what's going on in Mongolia. They estimate maybe 3 to 5% of the population are believers now, including quite a few people in the medical world. And we always try to spend time with them, like to uh, go out to dinner, invite them out, and just get a chance to know them as people. You probably know in the healthcare field, a lot of times it can be kind of brutal. People aren't always loving you and helping you along and coaching you. So that's what we try to do. Then uh, Kenya, some of you know about this because uh, it was on our Christian Doctors Digest. But uh, over about five years, we sent five small teams for uh, a week or ten days to Kenya. This is a partnership with the Kenyan Christian Medical Fellowship. And they wanted us to teach advanced life support courses. So uh, the first couple years, our teams taught that. And then they selected top teachers and taught them to teach it. And then within a short time, they had gone to... Uh, they had trained 1,500 people in Kenya, and it was becoming the standard of care in the emergency rooms there. They were looking at going to a surrounding country. So this is the kind of thing we do with Christians, too. We want to build capacity, give them a chance to be missionaries themselves and teach their own people, build capacity, which all these programs, I think, are doing. The third one uh, really grew out of Kenya. We call it Pediatric Neurodisability Teams. Uh, they, the Christian Medical Fellowship there recognized that uh, the disabled are very undercared for, and this is true in most developing countries, and uh, asked us to come and teach particularly on cerebral palsy, uh, uh, ADD, and autism. And so we sent uh, teams that 
taught there. After the first year, we heard that uh, the average age of diagnosis of some of these conditions had gone from eight years old to three years old, which is a pretty big change in early intervention. So uh, that, that's been a, a very interesting area. And while, uh, well, hopefully this will, hopefully this will work. While you watch this, I'll tell you. Since then, uh, it's expanding greatly. I have a little video here if it will work. Oops, I guess it's not going to work. Well, anyway, um, while we, uh, after we did the first year, we did a second year there, and then we were at, then we went to uh, a place in Central Asia. This year we went to, uh, we were going to go back to Kenya, but because of the elections that got postponed, we went to Ukraine, country in Central Asia, country in the Caucasus region. Now we have another invitation to another country in Central Asia and to Albania. So this seems to be an area that's really growing, and not only Christians are interested in doing it. So uh, it's been great to see how God is expanding that. And then this is our newest uh, our newest uh, opportunity, and I'm going to give Dr. Andy Sanders a, a chance to talk about this briefly. We have an exciting new opportunity in Macedonia, which is part of the former Yugoslavia. They um, have uh, people at every level of government pretty much and the health system that want us to come over the next year and provide uh, 24 doctors in six different specialties to improve the training and knowledge of their People And we also, uh, of course, will be trying to reach out on the spiritual area. I was just there and had a chance to pray, for example, with the, the leader of their pediatric hospital and give her Jesus MD. She's very open. Uh, she's Orthodox, which is about 70% of the country, but about 30% are Muslims, so it can also be an opportunity with them. And I'll give you a couple of minutes to talk a little about that. Go ahead. Yeah. <coughs> Try to stay within our 10 minutes. So thanks. I'm Andy Sanders, and I just want to share with you a moment about it, but also to give you an invitation just in case, just in case God wants you to hear this invitation. So with Macedonia, um, just a little tale of it, because um, um, just how some of these things happen, how God does this. But we had a little group after lots of mission trips. I'm an area director for CMDA, and I lead a lot of um, medical mission teams. But a little group of us started praying for the nations in Augusta, Georgia, and praying that God would open up a door where the gospel isn't. And, uh, and we, we've met for two years, and this eventually led to an opportunity to go to Macedonia. And then our second trip to Macedonia uh, last month, um, we found ourselves with the Minister of Health, uh, with no strategy on our part, no plan on our part, just God answering two years of prayer. And the prayer is that God would advance his kingdom throughout Macedonia and use Macedonia to help reach the Balkans and beyond for the kingdom of God and for God's glory to, to spread. And, um, and so we found ourselves with the Minister of Health presenting to us a government proposal, giving us an MOU, which I never even knew what an MOU was, uh, but just an official government document to bring doctors into the country and telling the, the, uh, the health care officials in the country that we're interested also in changing the hearts of doctors. And they said, yes, that's exactly what we need. Please come and teach us, but change our hearts as well and bring all the ones that you can do. to." And they, they give us, they've given us money for the doctors to come, to, to live there. And um, so the plan is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave and, and live there for three months and host the doctors. Um, and, then, and then our prayer is that the Lord will lift up uh, followers of Christ in that in that level of society who will become passionate followers, but not only just passionate followers, but real disciple makers in that country, that God's kingdom can really advance and maybe this window of time before, before the, the Muslim population rises more and it seems like it's a, a short window of time. So if God puts any of that on your heart, we're, I'm going to go in February and we're going to have three, three months of bringing doctors in. They'll come for two weeks, then they'll leave and I'll be there to follow up the doctor's the Macedonian doctors who are showing an interest in Christ, and that will be our focus is, is the discipleship focus. But the doctors coming will open up the doors and connect the lives to us. So if you have any hint of wanting to come to Macedonia and be a part of what God, we believe, is doing to advance his kingdom there, please, um, please contact me this weekend. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put my name up here. Thank you. And Thank you, you can also stop by the MEI booth. 
which is in the CMDA part of the display area. So that's briefly what I wanted to, to share with you. And you know this verse, the harvest is uh, plentiful and uh, the workers are few. So we always need more people to teach. So stop by our booth if you're interested and available to do this. Most of our teams are one week with travel on the weekend. Mongolia is always two weeks and uh, Macedonia will be too. So there are a couple exceptions. And then I'd be remiss if I didn't give thanks particularly to our prayer team, our financial team, and to those who have gone. Most of the opportunities aren't things I come up with. People hear about them at medical conferences when they're overseas. Uh, Dr. Jim Smith is going to talk later, has uh, found a lot of them and really been a stalwart in our organization. But it's really kind of like what we heard last night. It's a real God thing. He just brings these opportunities and does great things there. So thank you all. Well, I think you've heard one opportunity, and I think this is this is uh, this is really uh, uh, a great opportunity for and an option for you to think about. And we're going to hear about another. One of the problems that we have as a physician, for instance, you go into a hospital, you want to do types of surgery, you want to do teaching, but then what about post-operative care? What about even pre-operative care? Well, the nursing is a major deficit in a lot of places that we go. Becky Thompson is going to talk about the nursing aspect of things. And uh, Becky and her husband Dave and Dave, uh, are going to go to Egypt uh, in, uh, in January of 2013. And we're excited about that ministry. But there's a major nursing deficit there. And uh, she's going to speak a little bit about some of the nursing opportunities that are out there. Becky? Well, I'm speaking from, I'm a long-term missionary in 1975. Actually, our children think this is the scariest picture that we've ever shown. (laughs) But that's what we actually looked like way back then. And my husband and I uh, went to the country of Gabon. Now, if you were to find Africa and find the equator, where the equator hits the west coast, you'll find a little tiny country that's about the size of the state of Colorado. And that's where we went as a general surgeon and a uh, nurse who worked in the NICU. And we had no idea exactly what God was going to bring about that uh, through, through us, our meager, meager little team. Uh, we actually had another nurse join us and a nurse midwife, and that was the team. And the, actually the, the health needs were overwhelming, and we found out really, really quickly that we needed to educate. And so we started um, working on a nursing school. Now, we first had gone to France. It's a French-speaking country, so language is very important. Uh, In that country of Gabon, there are 50 different languages, and so the unifying language is French. And so we realized we've got to invest in others. We have to transfer our knowledge, transfer our skills, and transfer our vision because our vision was to give the best health care possible in that setting with the love of Jesus, and we wanted to do it through the church. And that's where we could – it's only sustainable, as far as I'm concerned, if you're working through the church. So the Bangalore um, Nursing School started, and we train African Christians to provide professional health care with the love of Jesus. And what I want to emphasize is it's medical training plus discipleship. We started a 29-month uh, nursing school there, and during that time we could have input into the lives of these students. That's what it looked like way back when we started graduating our students. But the, my biggest challenge was... Uh, organizing a curriculum in French. There was nothing. We went to all the um, schools that we could find and tried to see what the curriculum was, and there wasn't one. And so we had to do our own, and that was a huge challenge you can imagine. And each year we updated as much as we can. And then to, we, it's a, a process of theory, you know, getting our, your, your point across, and when they get it, it's just really, really fun. Uh, but it's also doing the practical, of course, on the, on the wards. And today, uh, this is the school. This is the school or the class of 2013 who will graduate in May, and that will make 214 students or graduates in that country now. And they're working all over the country of Gabon, not only giving the best nurse, nursing care probably in that country, but also they're, a, they're they're Christians and they're able to share their faith. And that for me is everything. 
transfer your vision. I, I think that's so important, and you need someone there long-term to do that, not only to give good nursing care, but to do it in the love of Christ. And so we have actually, from our nursing school, three who've gone cross-culturally to other countries, and they are now medical missionaries. So we've reproduced ourselves, and that, for me, is really exciting. And these are two of them who work in the country of Guinea. Uh, Jairus and Adeline are amazing examples of Christ. Well, this is what our staff looks like now. All of them except one has come through the, our nursing school, and so they're like my kids. Uh, we left them in June, and they were barely disappointed, but we had gotten a... Um, they're able to do it. You know, they thought, oh, we can't do it. But like you heard last night, it doesn't work because we're there. It works because God is there. And that's what I said. God is with you. And that will make everything happen because he wants it to happen. Well, we got an invitation in 2010 to come and see uh, a 100-year-old hospital up in the Delta area of, of Egypt. And it was through Bishop Manier and his wife, Nancy, with the Anglican Church. We never knew... Um, that this church, this uh, hospital existed in Egypt of all places, but they had heard of PACS, the Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons, which you will be hearing about, and they wanted a program there. So we went up there to see, uh, they have two hospitals up in the, the Delta area. One has been there, the one on the left has been there for, and it's the, the building on the left, and we'll have a little penthouse apartment up on top of the hospital. That's another whole subject. But um, they also had, had built another hospital in Sadat City about an hour and a half away. And what we saw there was not only the need for surgeons, for developing and training surgeons, but the nursing. All of the nurses that I saw had just been trained on the job. They had not had formal training. And that's what they were crying for also, the tremendous need for nursing. So they said, oh, you did this before? Well, come and do it here. And I'm thinking, it's going to be, it's not that easy to start a nursing school. And, the, the, you know, Arabic. So um, we have huge challenges ahead, but there's a tremendous need for nursing. If there's any nurses in here and you feel God calling you, Egypt has a huge need. There are hospitals there, but they need nurses. And not just to do it, to teach, because that will be sustainable. If you teach and, you, and you're going through the church, it will be sustainable. So that's my invitation to you. The three things, transfer your knowledge, transfer your skills, and transfer your vision. Thank you. Let's see if I can get out of here. Let's see. I'll have a seat. Can we raise your hand if there are seats available? We're not supposed to have anybody on the floor. Excuse me. Is another seat here? Okay. All right, our next speaker is uh, Dr. Bruce Steffes, um, and uh, he's going to talk a little bit about the uh, various residency training programs uh, uh, around the world, but very specifically in Africa. And uh, as you probably know, uh, David Thompson is the one whose vision it was that PACS, the Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons Surgical Training Program, is the one. He's the one that had the vision for this many years ago and has now grown. And Bruce is the uh, executive director of that organization now doing a wonderful job. And he's going to tell you more about some of the things that uh, and opportunities that are out there for residency training. Bruce? different uh, devices here. I want to talk to you a little bit about the fact that um, medical education is actually one of the most successful ways to get into any country in the world. There almost is no such thing as a closed country in terms of medical education if you're willing to go there as a tent maker. Uh, in that environment, of course, so that you're working in a program 
that is going to be mandated by somebody else. It's going to be the government regulations and so forth. And you're there as a Christian uh, doing high-quality care and gaining respect for that. And there's a, there's a tremendous need and a tremendous role for that. Uh, Africa is a little bit unique in that we have the opportunity to actually run some of these programs completely. Uh, most any country, if you have enough money, you can go in and run a program. Uh, it's the enough money problem that comes in, especially with the evangelical Christianity uh, and our <laughs> usual giving habits. Uh, so, um, uh, But in Africa, we can actually have managed to pull this off somewhat. All of these programs are in their beginning stages. As the countries are becoming increasingly sophisticated, uh, it's unclear whether or not we'll be able to maintain these, but I wanted to give you just a snapshot and give you a vision of what's uh, happening at the, at the present time. Um, I wanted to talk a little bit about this program. It's not technically uh, a residency, uh, but uh, Mark Newton, who is involved with Vanderbilt University, is a missionary at Kajabi Hospital and maintains his uh, uh, appointment at uh, Vanderbilt. And they have uh, started a uh, pediatric, excuse me, a nursing anesthesia program uh, there at uh, Kajabi. Uh, it has been approved by the uh, national. Uh, Council. One of the things that we're going to be talking about today is the idea that we need to uh, get approval. One of the issues uh, that is very valuable, of course, any of us in any situation should, should be spending most of our time in the mission field teaching other people. We can always transfer things unofficially. To transfer them officially becomes a little bit more uh, difficult and because of the uh, various rules and regulations that come in. So they've been approved. Presently, they've had 48 graduates, and they have 28 students presently. Now, in, in general surgery in sub-Saharan Africa, or in surgery in sub-Saharan Africa, there is one surgeon for every quarter million people. In the rural areas, there's one surgeon for every 2.5 million people. That would be here in Kentucky, there would be four surgeons, and three of them would live in Lexington, okay? And the rest, everybody would walk to get there. Um, that is wonderful compared to anesthesia. Uh, we have tremendous capacities in anesthesia that are not going unfulfilled, are not being fulfilled. Uh, Chad, the entire country of Chad, if you look on the on the map, it's a huge country. They had one anesthesiologist, and he recently died. Uh, and so that's the kind of uh, anesthesia support that we're struggling with. So nurse anesthesia is a very important uh, concept right now. Um, they are in the process of turning this over, training the Kenyans uh, to up to the level of sophistication. Just because you train somebody, just like here in the United States, not everybody who trains is going to be a great teacher. So it's a, it's a very unique uh, number of people that you can identify uh, to do this. And they're, they're looking forward to this. Uh, they're using their position in Kenya to very strategically reach out to the southern Sudanese and then to Eritrea and some of these other countries. And so uh, they're excited about that as well. Um, here's Mark on, the, uh, on, on your right um, in that operating room. Uh, talk a little bit about PA education. Uh, PA education is something that uh, is expanding over the entire world. Uh, Australia and England and some of these other countries have kind of discovered it. Uh, it's still very spotty in Africa. Um, but uh, Steve Trexler, who is a missionary with ABWE, has uh, gone out and begun training uh, physician assistants in Liberia. Liberia is uh, very, very short on medical staff. There are exactly five surgeons in the entire country, uh, and uh, they're... Uh, because of the Civil War, people have left. Uh, Steve is up in uh, upcountry in Gabargna uh, and is training uh, Christian uh, PAs. And it has been approved by the government's um, uh, Ministry of uh, Health. It does help uh, that the uh, Minister of Health in that country is a born-again believer, uh, Dr. Walter uh, Guanagali. Uh, and so um, they're creating an associate degree. They're working on a bachelor's degree. He's there by himself training 20 residents. And you can imagine one person doing all the administration, doing all the teaching, doing all the, uh, the counseling, all the support, all the discipling, uh, a lot of work. Uh, he's coming home on furlough and wants to start another program. They'd really like to have enough PAs come alongside that they can start a program, uh, a class every year. But uh, pray for that. That sort of thing actually is opening up in many places in Africa uh, and is an opportunity uh, for those that are in physician uh, assistant education. Family practice, uh, in his image, has um, uh, developed programs. They have some in uh, Mongolia, some in Egypt, and uh, one in Kabul. 
uh, Afghanistan. Uh, one of the philosophies that you have to have in these programs is are you training and discipling Christians? Are you using this as a discipling in a, in a reach out evangelistic? And, and both have their advantages and some are possible in some countries and some are not possible in other countries. Uh, there they're training uh, all uh, people who are Islamic uh, in this uh, program for family practice in Kabul. Um, it was approved by the Minister of Public Health uh, and began in 2005. If it's a three-year clinical uh, rotation, they have two expatriate faculty. Now, um, again, as you're well aware, proclaiming Christ's name in those countries is difficult, converting even much more difficult. Uh, they uh, have at least uh, three people that they know of who have converted, at least on a private level, have not yet uh, announced that uh, publicly, but pray for them as well. Um, one of the problems uh, that you get into these kind of programs, of course, is the whole problem of brain drain. And um, many of them, if they get to a level of good education, they leave the country, and that's something that needs to be addressed as you design these programs. Within uh, internal medicine, uh, there's only one training program that I'm aware of um, that is actually training as a pure Christian uh, high-level program. That's uh, Dennis Palmer's uh, group in, um, in Bingo Hospital in Cameroon. Uh, Dennis is here. It's, he's up in the booth. Please talk to him if you're interested. Uh, he is actually very much interested in turning this into a, to a multinational uh, training program, uh, but this program is only a few years old at the present time. He has uh, begun, it began in uh, 2008. Uh, they're going to have their first graduates. They have an interesting approach in that they're training nurse practitioners at the same time uh, with the same uh, people. And uh, there are seven residents in there as well. It is not yet recognized by the Cameroonian government, and that becomes an issue. Um, you're always subject to uh, whether somebody has a headache in the, in the government or not that day. Uh, but uh, they're, they're working on that as well. They are training only Christians. I want to tell you a little bit about the general, the, uh, general surgery training program, the Pan-African Academy of Christian Surgeons. It's a commission of CMDA. Uh, we're under their um, legal authority. Uh, we use the evangelical mission hospitals to both train and disciple uh, national physicians. At uh, present, we have uh, programs in Kenya. There are actually two, both one at Tenwick and Kajabi. Uh, in Ethiopia, we are using two hospitals for one combined program. Uh, we have uh, had in, uh, Cameroon. We've had three different programs close, two of them down for various reasons, one in Gabon, one in Niger, and one in Bangladesh. We hope to be starting one, uh, as you heard, in Egypt uh, within the next year or so, one in Tanzania, and uh, hopefully one in Malawi. Uh, so there's uh, some significant growth. Uh, our basic limitation, besides money, money is always an issue, uh, but it's career general surgeons. Uh, I could put 18 career general surgeons to work tomorrow in hospitals that want to have training programs. Uh, they have tremendous uh, influence when they do that. It's a five-year uh, competency-based curriculum. Uh, one thing that in Africa, they're used to a university training program. The fact that the United States uh, trains two-thirds of its general surgeons in community hospitals is a concept that hasn't gotten there. And so they're kind of not sure what to do with us even yet. Uh, we have gotten approval. There are two colleges of surgery that give approval for training programs, one in the west side that has 18 countries. One on the east side has 10. We've been approved by one. We're still working on the other. Keep that as a matter of prayer. Uh, presently, uh, actually I didn't update this, we have 24 career missionaries uh, who are working as faculty. And uh, last year, uh, this was 115, was two years ago, we had 149 short-term faculty that come over there. One of the problems is here in the United States, of course, general surgery is uh, breast, abdomen, a few other things. Uh, but uh, over there, it's skin and its contents. Uh, so uh, you are a, you're a neurosurgeon, you're a urologist, you're an orthopod, you're a whatever comes in. And so the short-termers that come over uh, are critical. We couldn't survive without it. Uh, we're training not only uh, the residents, but they're training the, the American surgeons uh, so that they can uh, do these cases as well. So very, very important. Uh, we are looking very seriously. One-third of the caseload that we do is obstetrics, and one-third of the caseload that we do is orthopedics. And so we are looking at expanding into these things as people come alongside to help us uh, do this. Um, here's where we are in August of 2012. I'd really love to have lines all over that, that map. All right. We'll talk a little bit more if you have any questions. All right. I think you've gotten a pretty good smattering of what's out there. The question is, where do you fit?
Now, here's another option for you. And, uh, Jim Smith is formerly a professor of surgery, uh, otolaryngology at the University of Oregon, but then retired and has gone out and uh, is now working uh, at the uh, University of Singapore. And so he's going to talk to you about another flavor of methods to use. And I hope you get out of all of these things that we're talking about options. That's the critical thing. Where do you fit in? And so I want you to be thinking about those things, and Jim's going to explain a little bit about some of those things that he's now doing uh, down in uh, Singapore. How do I put? How do I get it full screen, Dave? It is. Oh, okay. Obviously, I'm not a Mac person. Okay, thank you very much, Bruce. Uh, so what I'm going to be talking about this morning are some opportunities for long-term, uh, in a long-term mission opportunities in medical education. Now, what I'd like to cover are some of the uh, considerations and why I think you should do this, some examples of individuals, and then we'll talk about some opportunities. So now, in the interest of full disclosure, as you've already heard, my career was in academic medicine, and in 1997, I went as a visiting professor to the University of Singapore. So my prejudice, and I'll put it out there right up front, is that I think the future of medical missions is in education and training. And obviously, you can see all of us that have spoken this morning feel the same way. So why be a teacher? Well, I think there are a lot of reasons. You can build into the others' lives. You can share your experience with others. And I think the most important thing in the mission field is that when you leave, whether you leave the field because of personal reasons or you retire, whatever, you can leave something behind. You have, we have opportunities to show the love of Christ. Students and residents you work with are going to ask you about your uh, belief systems, so you have an opportunity to just share the gospel with them. And we have the opportunity to influence the next generation of uh, medicine. We can do this spiritually with their medical knowledge. And one of the things that's so lacking in many countries is just a caring attitude when they take care of uh, their patients. Another thing that you might not think of is modeling teaching as a career opportunity. When I was back in Singapore in January of this year, I've, so I've been involved in that program now for 15 years, and I realized of all the faculty members, there are eight faculty now, I had a hand in all of their training. And so those are the kind of opportunities. And it's what Becky said when she left uh, Gabon. Now, the other thing is that we have an opportunity to allow hands-on. Again, something that is foreign in most countries. Something as simple as I'm doing here, teaching how to remove cerumen from the external ear canal. But when I was in Egypt in February, I met a young otolaryngologist who had all the qualifications for being fully trained in that field in Egypt. He did no surgery as a resident. When he finished his residency, he had to pay somebody to teach him how to do a TNA and a myringotomy and tube. And those were the only surgical procedures that he knew as a fully qualified otolaryngologist. So hands-on is something that we can train. The other thing that you may not think about is just our approach to medicine. How we do a methodical approach of taking a history, a physical examination, making a differential diagnosis, and developing a, a plan of treatment using evidence-based medicine. Now, I must say that in many countries with the Internet, evidence-based medicine is becoming much more important. But it's the application of that uh, that is difficult. I'm just going to give you six examples of some individuals that I've known that I think have done this well. First one is uh, Jim Jewell, who is in the front, second from the left. He was a thoracic surgeon in Pennsylvania, and about age 55 or so, he went as a missionary to a small mission hospital in western Zambia. He did that for about eight years. Uh, he had to do a lot of general medicine. 
And, you know, we as surgeons, we don't like doing general medicine. We like to do surgery. And he wasn't able to do all the surgery he liked to do. So he was going to retire and come home. He was about 65, I think, at that time. But somebody, somehow, he found out that there was an opportunity at the University of Zambia. And he was a, made a full professor at the university, did that full-time for a few years. And he's almost 80 now, and he still spends six months a year teaching students and residents in that country. Bill Bevins was one of the uh, was an ER physician from Colorado that went on one of our ATLS teams to Kenya, and he felt the Lord call, calling him uh, to teach those types of things: ATLS, ACLS, PALS, and so on. He went to uh, Kenya for four years, and as Sherry mentioned, a lot along with the teams that we have sent, they are now doing their own courses. And he's moved on and is the head of the family medicine program in Kabul that Bruce was mentioning. Lo Ching was one of my students from Singapore. He was a general practitioner, felt a call to missions, went to a large city in southwest China. Uh, and even though he really didn't have much experience in education, he was hired by the medical school to help with faculty development. And he's had an opportunity uh, to serve in that way. We actually took an MEI team in September and did a conference on medical and residency education to help support him in what he was doing. Ken Hinton was a pediatric, uh, pediatrician in a mission hospital in Indonesia. He did that for about 15 years. And then he moved to a medical school uh, in Sarabaya and where he taught English and was able to teach uh, pediatrics, although he wasn't allowed to practice. Jana Bacotti was a trauma surgeon at Emory, uh, went as chairman of surgery to the Aga Khan Hospital, which is a Muslim hospital in Nairobi. Cheryl Snyder, uh, again, was uh, someone who went on one of our ATLS teams, did several teams in China on disaster relief, helped start an osteopath school in Yakima, Washington, and is now moving to the University of Zambia to help with faculty development. They're planning to start a Christian medical school there, and she's hoping to be involved with that. So you can see there are a lot of opportunities. Some things you might not think about. Some things like in basic research. I talk to people who are in medical schools that do research uh, or have some real narrow specialty and say, well, there's no room for me on the mission field. Not true. There are a lot of these medical schools, particularly in places like China, where they really welcome those type of people. Becky was talking about nursing. I would include with that physical therapy, <coughs> occupational therapy, a lot of the paramedical things. There's a huge need in these uh, countries, and education is a one way uh, to do that. The picture on the upper right is a new university that started in Astana, Kazakhstan. It is all, everything is taught in English. They have pre-medical students now, and in another year we'll start a medical school. They are looking for people to come who are native English speakers to help teach in this situation. It's a perfect tent-making opportunity. They actually will pay your way, and they will furnish your housing, and uh, you will be able to witness there. I met the chairman of surgery from the University of Zimbabwe, and he told me, he says, if you know of anybody who will come and teach full-time at our medical school in surgery, I'll make him a full professor. So there are many opportunities. Uh, there are a lot of new medical schools, starting particularly in Africa uh, and in Asia. I have some reservations about them. I think that they, many of them are for profit, and I'm not sure that the end product is going to be good, but there are going to be opportunities to move into those schools and to teach. There are going to be needs in curriculum development, teaching things like problem-based learning, and in faculty uh, development, as we've been mentioning. Already has been mentioned residency training programs in national medical schools are looking for people. Family medicine, and in his image, has several. I heard yesterday, I think they have six now, three in China. They have the one in Kabul that they work with in Egypt. Uh, there are family medicine training programs in Kenya. Uh, Bruce already mentioned the internal medicine one, and you've heard about PACS. So what do you need to do this? I think one of the things that we have to keep in mind, we need to ask the nationals what they need. We can't just go in and tell them you have to do it the American way. They're not going to be able to take, and we, we have done some courses on 
ACGME-type residency training, and I always start the course by saying, look, we don't know what will apply in your situation. You have to discuss amongst yourself what you can use. And so I think we need to take that type of approach. But if you're going to do this, you will need some kind of specialty training, board certification. I think if you have an academic position, that certainly helps. It's not totally necessary. Uh, but I would encourage those of you who are younger to think about doing that. I think the other thing is, and some people might not agree with me, but I think doing a trial of 3 to 12 months, I did that when I went to Singapore. I was there for six weeks on sabbatical. And I think for you to know whether it's going to work for you and if it's going to work for them uh, can be important. How can you find opportunities? Well, you're here at the GMHC. Perfect time to do networking, uh, but other professional, personal contacts. You've heard about PACS, MEI. Uh, the International Institute for Christian Study actually places professors in secular universities around the world in all fields, including medicine. And finally, what should our, be our motive? I think our overriding reason is to show the love of Christ. And I like this verse from 1 Peter 3.15. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And you have this opportunity. For instance, in China, you're not allowed to proselytize, but if somebody asks you a question, you can share with them. But I think the last part of that uh, verse, we need to do it with gentleness and respect. Thank you. Great. Well, I appreciate uh, sharing with us these various opportunities, and I hope that you have seen opportunities where you might really want to fit in. And I just encourage you. I'm going to ask the uh, uh, speakers... I'm going to ask the speakers if they would come up, and we're just going to have a brief panel here for a minute, and I know we're short on time, but I think that this is really crucial things for you to become involved with, and uh, that's what I want you to be, is take away as a message. One is there are many opportunities. Uh, two is I want you to be prepared. Just as uh, I don't, just because you're an American and you've had been trained in American medical school, you need to get some degree of specialty training, whether it be family practice, whether it be internal medicine, some aspect of surgery, whether it be nursing. Uh, as Jim was uh, mentioning, something about physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, audiology, whatever it is. There are opportunities out there for you to be involved. So I'm going to just uh, uh, ask the panel to start off with a little bit to expand a little bit on this issue uh, that was brought up about uh, doing not only training but discipleship, as Becky had used that word, and I know that is used in PACs and the other organizations. Uh, one of you would want to speak to that. Bruce, do you want to just share a little bit about your thoughts about discipleship and training together? We actually lost one of the mics here. Okay. Yeah, I think I think we're okay. Um, I think it's actually critical to do that. And of course, I think that's that's true in terms of if we're serious about what Christ has done for us, then it needs to come out in our lives in virtually everything that we do. Uh, and, and I don't know that we need to necessarily say, well, gee, I'm not a theologian or I'm not a whatever. Uh, I think it's a matter of just demonstrating uh, most most uh, salvations that, that might come about in this situation come about because of relationship evangelism, not because you can uh, give uh, 29 verses for the uh, various doctrines or, or whatever. So I think it's really important that that's, that's very much uh, part of it. But it also has to be equally intentional, just like our Christianity should be on a regular basis as well. I think it's a, a very important concept. And in many of these countries, uh, the reason that the physicians stand out is not necessarily the quality of their care. It's the fact that they care. And uh, it's, uh, it's not a medical aspect. It's just purely in many of these cultures, the pure love of Christ stands out like a tremendous beacon. And so I think it's a critical part of what we do. One of the other things that was mentioned, too, about the issue of modeling as a Christian, 
do we model as a Christian where we are working here in the U.S.? And that is something we need to be doing going abroad. And personnel, personnel. We need personnel. Yes, money is important, but we need personnel. We have personnel. We'll get the money. So think about all those aspects. Okay, I'm going to open it up for any questions that you all might have. All right, I guess all the questions have been answered. Oh, there you go. Okay. Okay. All right. Becky, you've, you've had a lot of experience abroad, uh, spent many years in Japan, and now going to be going to uh, Egypt. Repeat the question so that for the recording. Okay. This is for um, what kind of preparation? While I was a nurse, um, I grew up actually on the mission field, so I kind of, that kind of helped, you know. Um, had cross-cultural experience in Asia, but that did not necessarily completely transfer to Africa. And I always wanted to go back to Asia. But um, a lot of the, the missionaries that come out, I don't think I'm on, am I? <coughs> Do go through cross-cultural training, at least the ones that I've worked with. It, it needs to be intentional because you can make some big mistakes. Um. I think if you're thinking about going, one thing that helps a lot if you can't take formal training, I have taken formal training, but um, there's a lot out there you can read. There's uh, probably the best book to start with is called uh, Cross-Cultural Servanthood by Dwayne Elmer. He has several others. He uh, has taught in many countries and was a long-term missionary and also a mission leader and uh, a professor of cross-cultural um, there's also uh, a really good one, I think, called, um, what is the name of that? It's basically uh, about how Jesus taught serving. I can't think of the name of it. I'll try to think of it. But um, it basically talks about what Jesus was like, which is what most of the world is like, a lot less time-oriented, a lot more people-oriented. And uh, gives you those kinds of things. And I think that the biggest thing is to go with a serving, learning attitude. We don't want to go as the arrogant know-it-all Americans. They know a lot about their culture. They may have unique uh, medical beliefs in their culture that we're not aware of. So we always try in MEI at least to go like Jim mentioned and just say we've been asked to tell you how we do it. It may not work in your uh, your area. And give them actually time built into the schedule to talk about what they can use and also see what you can learn from them. If I think of that book, I'll tell you. So preparation is crucial, very important. Okay, yes, question. Uh, the American uh, medical model really uh, leads to a lot of specialization and a, a narrow uh, knowledge base, but overseas you're very much a generalist. And if you agree with that, like how, do you, how, do you tr- how do you make that transition? quality care, um, having come from uh, a setting where um, you had a very narrow specialization. Okay, so how do you keep yourself broad? Uh, Bruce, you want to address that question because uh, the surgeons that are over there, they're operating on the skin and its contents. How, how do you do that? Uh, with great difficulty. Um, the major uh, problem is is that we have to really realize that if we rely on what we were trained, the principles, the basic underlying pathophysiology, the, those kind of things, those don't change. Um, and so a lot of our super specialization has to do, honestly, with high technology, which fortunately you don't have. So uh, you really do have to refault, re- revert back. It is difficult. Uh, there will be times you're absolutely terrified. You're so frustrated because there's something that you know that maybe you could do if you, you knew how. Uh, what we don't want to do is be cowboys. I've seen that happen where, you know, they'll uh, tackle anything that they shouldn't tackle just because. But on the other hand, you have to realize that in many situations uh, you have a book which makes you far better than anybody else around. And so uh, you literally have to just, you know, pick and choose those things you can help. It's very, very critical to understand, though, from your own psychological adaptation to this, is that there are many things you cannot help, and it will frustrate you, and it will do those things. But there is such a huge denominator that if you just pick the things you can help, uh, you can have tremendous impact and work yourself to death, frankly, uh, which is another whole issue that we can get into. I think the other comment I would make about that is that, you know, even here, you know, I'm, I'm the elder statement. Bruce is almost as old as I am. 
But, you know, the things that I learned as a resident 40 years ago, I mean, I do a lot of procedures that I didn't do back then. And so, you know, you can go back and learn those things, as, as Bruce has already said. In the book I was trying to think of, I think it's called Ministering Cross-Culturally. Yeah. I'm just going to say there are more and more books coming out aimed towards those of us who don't know everything. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, Lewis Carter had a book on plastic surgery before too long. I think Dan was involved in a book on pediatric surgery. But these are aimed toward setting some in orthopedics, uh, PAX has developed, a, uh, our task force, the orthopedics has developed a, you know, uh, basically I asked them to write a book that's orthopedics for dummies. And so, uh, but uh, same for plastic surgery. There's an excellent book that plastic surgery is available through uh, uh, Global Outreach Help, uh, and it's free off the web. Uh, several textbooks there off the web. So there, there are many resources. And the other thing is part- particularly for anything to do with surgery, it's primary surgery. Uh, which is an old, old, old textbook, but will bail you out amazingly. It teaches you how to use bailing wire and a few other things to do things. And it's an amazing text. So there are there are resources out there that help. Okay, one last question. Not a question, just a comment. After having lived overseas for 30 years, one of the things that is helpful is if you know what country you're going to, find some foreign students here from that country and try to get a little bit of cultural orientation before you go. It helps a lot after you get there. That's good. That's good advice. And I think that, you know, we're going to need to bring this session to a close. But I will say that what you have seen has been multiple opportunities. And, you know, I was interested, Jim, as you were mentioning, too, about uh, uh, Jim Jewell, who was in Zambia, was thinking of coming home, but then saw an opportunity in the university there uh, in the capital of Zambia and went through that door and has become a professor of surgery there. But the, the spiritual impact that he has there has been phenomenal. And, you know, this is something you need to look at for yourselves. God may be calling you overseas. You're not sure where. Maybe it's a a mission hospital. Maybe another opportunity with training. But transfer the spiritual as well as the medical and to train those people over there in the medical as well as the spiritual. That is the key. That's what we're doing. That's what we're here to be sharing with others. So listen and talk with these people afterwards. And John you met John Crouch is head of the family practice thing. Do you want to say something? And that is that uh, we've sort of developed the spiritual curriculum, and we've now condensed that into sort of a template form so that we know it's not going to be completely applicable that's great so there's an opportunity and that's very important so you have that available as a template to use if you go to some of these places so we want to bring this to a close and thank everyone for coming and the speakers will be here for a few minutes to talk and you can ask further questions thank you